After the preaching, we will ask the Lord in prayer to bless his word by his spirit. And then we'll sing from Psalter 141, based on Psalm 51, praying for God's spirit in our lives. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Dear congregation belonging to Christ, I think you will know why we have this sort of text this evening. Today in the church calendar year is Pentecost Sunday. We remembered Jesus' death on Good Friday, then Easter Sunday when he arose. And he was with the disciples for 40 days, proving he was risen. And then he ascended into heaven, and 10 days after, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church into the world for the ministry of the gospel. And how great this is. Truth be told, congregation, without the sending of the Holy Spirit to work with saving and sanctifying power in sinners' hearts and lives, yes, your life and my life too, no one of us could or would ever be saved. But now, with the Holy Spirit being sent forth, poured out, no sinner's case is hopeless and helpless. And there's so much reason for optimism and humble expectation and, yes, unceasing prayer in and with all gospel ministry here and everywhere in Jesus' name and in accordance with his word. So let's this evening consider this verse, John fourteen eighteen, where Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Our sermon theme is the gospel of Pentecost, not left comfortless, not left as orphans. I'll explain that. And we have three main thoughts we will pursue in this development of this sermon. One, what sad plight Jesus describes. Two, what splendid promise Jesus gives or makes. And three, what supreme provision the Lord gives. I will not leave you Comfortless, says Jesus. I will come to you. What is the sad plight that Jesus here describes in our text? Isn't Jesus, as only Savior of sinners, telling us in this verse, if he wouldn't finish the gospel work that God his Father gave him to do, and if God the Holy Spirit wouldn't come to minister and apply the gospel of Jesus Christ, sinners like us to save, then, then we are left most hopeless and despairing before God and eternity. Yes, congregation, Jesus is describing here, we can say, our natural condition as guilty, corrupted, depraved sinners in ourselves, left to ourselves, apart from Christ Jesus, and spirit-worked faith in Him as only Savior and Lord, no matter whatever temporary comforts we may find for ourselves in this life, yet before God and eternity, we are comfortless and remain comfortless. Now our text brings out this 
hopeless condition of, of being comfortless with using the word in the original orphanus, from which we get the English word orphans. Children in church and everyone here, you know the meaning of the word orphan, right? It refers to a child, a boy or a girl, or a youth whose mother and father are both dead and no longer there to take care of their children. An orphan, and we usually think of them as younger, but can be older ones too, but an orphan has no mom or dad anymore and is left without the loving care and guidance and support of their parents. In many countries, still, there are large homes with many orphan children. And those homes we call orphanages, residential institutions for orphan children. Some of these orphanages may still provide some good care, but often they are places where, as an orphan child, you become just more or less like a number, another individual who needs to be fed and dressed, but not one shown a lot of love, tender love and, and, and caring attention at all. You know, another version of our text in its first phrase translates, translates it as, I will not leave you desolate, desolate. In Calgary, just a couple of weeks back, there was a terrible vehicle accident where a mother of five children was killed. The driver, in this case, was a known criminal engaged in some criminal activity. And this woman was not the target of his activity, but she happened to be in the wrong place and was killed as this person drove recklessly. And as far as I know, that criminal is still at large, as the police have not yet been able to find him. But the further sad story is this woman's husband died only three months earlier, apparently. So now, five children are left as orphans. I read recently, too, about a young 18-year-old youth with, I think, three younger siblings in Ukraine. And he was this boy, this 18-year-old, was with his mother out. And she got struck by a Russian missile and was killed. The boy's father apparently was also had died before. And this boy saw his mother dying. And he had himself to bury a hole and bury his mother. And he had to tell his siblings, Mom's gone. And so here you have this 18-year-old with his three younger siblings and all four now being orphans. Oh, how sad and grievous indeed. Being an orphan in this way, and then thinking of this word comfortless, no doubt we can, we can see that this could be a fitting translation of that word orphanus. Comfortless, desolate, abandoned, hopeless, despairing, lonely. Jesus says, I won't leave you that way. And here we need to think when Jesus spoke this word to his disciples, namely the night before his crucifixion. 
from the earlier verses of John 14, which we didn't read, we know that in that time the disciples were very anxious and troubled. They were concerned in their minds and hearts. They saw gloom and doom before them and they they were fearful and afraid for the future. They didn't understand what was all happening, but it didn't look good. And it is in this context that Jesus says to them, I will not leave you comfortless orphans. I will come to you. Dear congregation, how important that we pause here and consider well how comfortless we people are left to ourselves without Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, without the Holy Spirit ministering to us the gospel. I mean, don't we see this in the world all around us? How sad and how miserable How comfortless, how confused, how aimless are and remain many people when living still in their sins and without looking to Jesus Christ and in fact rejecting Him as the only comforter for us, for you and me, in body and soul, in life and death, and for time and eternity. We see people, don't we, madly look for all all kinds of comforts in something or someone or some substance even of this world instead. But, but, but they are yet left, aren't they? Comfortless, messed up, so troubled. I wonder if any here among us are presently in this endless rush for just earthly comforts, but repeatedly and time and again left comfortless still. You know, sometimes we can fool ourselves, can't we? Thinking, if I can enjoy just the comforts of money and, and, and relationships and fame and pleasures in this life, I'll be okay. And just to ensure I can have comfort for the life to come too, well, I'll go to church maybe sometimes and, and even give for the church to make sure I don't go to hell one day and get to heaven too. However, you know, don't you? The Bible so clearly teaches us, doesn't it? Except you and I be born again by the Holy Spirit and we repent of sin and trust and follow Jesus Christ. Unless you and I are so converted and consecrated to God by grace through faith in the one and only Savior of sinners, we we will live and die comfortless before God and our neighbors. You might have a lot of enviable earthly comforts now, but to live and die without the one only true comfort from God our Savior is to be left, think of it, eternally hopeless, comfortless, despairing, and cast even into the bottomless pit of hell, where, says Jesus, there's never-ending weeping and gnashing of teeth. So comfortless, Jesus tells us. Repeatedly so. Can you imagine, children and young people and everyone, and please do imagine, being hopelessly and justly comfortless when you breathe your last. Totally comfortless before God and eternity. I mean, with that being left forever abandoned then to yourself and despairing, desolate of any hope ever of of acceptance with God still. 
and becoming one of his dear children and so perishing in your sins and sinfulness. Just, just to think now, just think now about what that will be for all who live and die in unbelief and in rejection of the gospel, the Christian gospel. I'm sure every one of you would say to me, to be an orphan child in this life is certainly something very sad and difficult. But are some of you maybe still quite indifferent and unconcerned and uncaring about being cast, as it were, in, the, in an eternal, hellish orphanage, apart from God, not being one of God's believing children? I've seen a few orphanages here on earth, in some countries, that made me think, oh, how sad to live in such places. And cannot more be done to have these orphan children find a, a loving home. But imagine, congregation, the place of hell, how infinitely sad and hopeless and desolate and despairing to be there. All in hell want always to die every day in their agonies. Yet the Bible says they will never die. But experience only always deserved endless conscious agonies in body and soul with no hope of relief or ever getting out. Never forevermore. You see, congregation, living on in sin and in rejection of God, the only Savior of sinners, is that serious and indeed eternal punishment deserving. Please let no one here discount this solemn teaching, this gospel teaching. Indeed, dear congregation, don't you too wish that all people on earth, yes, church and covenant people too, would take more seriously and solemnly our most sad plight of ourselves as sinners apart from Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Children in church, don't wait till you're older to take this seriously. But pray to God today, even this Pentecost Sunday, to have mercy on you, a sinner, and to save also a sinner like you and like me. And young people and older ones, won't you do the same? Even this very day, even now in this service. Harden not your heart through the deceitfulness of sin. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. You may ask Jesus to save you, even this moment. The Holy Spirit to minister to you right now in a life-changing way. Now, praise God. Are there not also saved children and, and young people among us in this service and, and saved adults and older ones? We may believe that by God's grace. People who by God's mercy and grace are not left orphans, not left comfortless before God and eternity. No, but by grace through faith in Jesus have been adopted into the family of God and are children of his eternal household. You know, when that's the case, you can't thank God enough, can you, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't thank him enough for his grace and mercy in your life, making a difference where there is no difference between so, with so many others. It's just grace. Well, again, remember the context of our text, John 14, 18, is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Can we not say, congregation, that especially on the cross of Golgotha, Jesus as substitute and savior of sinners, think of this, he as it were suffered the comfortless agonies of eternal orphan status. We know when suffering as sin bearer on the cross, Jesus experienced us, didn't he? Such total abandonment from God, his, his dear heavenly father. And so remember Jesus Fourth, indescribable, hellish cry of anguish on the cross, as recorded in the Gospels. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted is, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus came so to suffer and die as substitute. The just and full punishment for sin that we, you and I, sinners deserve even as he offered up to God on his people's behalf the perfect life God rightly demands from all his children. And Jesus did all this, didn't he, to seek and to save sinners like us, like you and me. And the Bible says, whoever turns from sin and believes on him shall be saved and be adopted in the Lord's eternal family. Nevermore, think of it, nevermore left an abandoned orphan, as it were, before God and eternity. Never left comfortly, comfortless, Although that's always what we deserve, left to ourselves. Well, we should think of this also, congregation, in the context of us being a covenant congregation. You and I are raised with the Bible. You and I have been baptized as children. And isn't it like, isn't baptism, I had baptism in Pitcher Butte, isn't, isn't baptism like God saying to us from the day of our infancy, I don't want you to live and die as comfortless orphan children before God and eternity. And I pledge to you with word and sacrament, I will be your Savior God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My word of oath is that with me as your covenant God of salvation, you will find free and full salvation from all sin and evil from within and without. And I will receive you as my dear child. And I will even bring you one day into my eternal home, the place Jesus called his Father's house with its many mansions. I ask you, do we each and all see and hear how this gracious gospel and word of promise makes it all the more sad, surely, and very tragic when any among us turn away from the only Savior, God, who alone can deliver us from being forever comfortless to forever comforted of God. Are you one who will turn away? Or will you call upon God? Well, here now let's move to our second main thought under our theme, the Gospel of Pentecost. We have thought about the sad plight that Jesus describes being left comfortless and abandoned on our own. But think next, what splendid promise Jesus makes in John 14, 18. Jesus says what again? I will not leave you comfortless, orphans. I will come to you. 
Oh, dear congregation, belonging to Christ, if you and I ever desire real encouragement in life, you can find it truly and fully, time and again, with Jesus the Savior. Yes, in a full and satisfying way that you could never, ever find elsewhere. Jesus says in the context, let not your heart be troubled. That's what he says to his disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. I will not leave you comfortless as orphans. I will come to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled. Neither be thou afraid. You see how Jesus, yes, again here, even on a night, think of it, when his own heart was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death, yet how he reaches out in tender love and care to his disciples in their needs. Jesus, isn't it true, he's always thinking of others, especially his followers. And in this time of our text, for their well-being, even in a time when he himself was in the greatest of needs and anguish of soul and body. Oh, what a savior of sinners we find in Jesus Christ the Lord. Can you find anyone so beautiful as our beautiful savior? Is this not the Christian's experience and testimony, trusting him, yes, also for all believers here and now? Now just think with me, the splendid promise that Jesus makes here. I will not leave you comfortless as orphans. I will come to you. Notice it's a twofold promise. With each part so rich by itself, and the two altogether exceedingly rich beyond words. Jesus doesn't only assure them of not leaving them as orphans, abandoned and comfortless and desolate and alone. His gospel promise doesn't only come in a negative way, but he strengthens it powerfully in a positive way, adding, I will come to you. Actually, in the Greek, the second phrase is not in the future verb tense, but in the present verb tense. I come to you. In other words, you can count on this, Jesus pledges. I come to you, and I will come to you continually. It's like his promise in um, Matthew 28, where Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And what about in Hebrews 13:5, where Jesus, we're told of him, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Do you hear what a, what a doubly precious gospel promise this is? Don't you agree? Here we do need to ask, what did Jesus actually mean when he says to his disciples, I will come to you? Or I'm coming to you? Some say that the promise here refers to Jesus coming to his disciples in his resurrection appearances. Others say it refers to Jesus coming to them with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And still others say Jesus here is referring to his second coming when he returns from heaven in glory and majesty to establish his eternal kingdom. But probably, congregation, the best interpretation of Jesus' words here is to view his saying, I will come to you, as referring to all three comings. As another well said, We believe that these words are to be understood in their widest sense. And even so, dear congregation, let's not limit Jesus' limitless words 
But realize, as another put it, every phase of his promised coming is embraced in this assurance, I will come to you. Having said that, however, we do have to say, clearly from the immediate context, that Jesus' promise here refers primarily and especially to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as happened on Pentecost, Lord's Day, in Acts 2, as we read about it. The triune God is one God in three persons. That's a wonderful truth, by the way. And Jesus teaches us here, when the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out, it'll be like Jesus himself coming coming to them in a real way. No, it's not that the Holy Spirit is Jesus, but Jesus means the Holy Spirit is the divine agent and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as such, the work of the Holy Spirit is always about glorifying Jesus as the Savior of sinners and making Him known and needed and felt and loved and adored above all. The Spirit, through the gospel, reveals Christ to us as the Good Shepherd and as our only prophet and priest and teacher and king Redeemer, Savior, and Lord. The Spirit's work, we can say, is through the Word to convict us of sin and so to draw the sinner to Christ, the only Savior of sin, and by grace, through faith in Him, to bring, bring us to Christ and to bring Christ to the sinner, yes, in joyful, holy embrace, in union and communion with Jesus Christ for all our salvation and peace with God and peace on earth and peace forevermore. None of this congregation can ever happen except the Holy Spirit come and so minister the gospel to us effectually and irresistibly in God's sovereign grace and mercy. Jesus speaks later in John 14 about the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth and as another helper and comforter who abides with his people forever, even for as many as believe. And in John 16, verse 13, Jesus further describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth. For he will speak not on his own authority, but together with the Father and Son in perfect harmony, the Holy Spirit will speak. And we read in John 16, 14, that Jesus says thus of the Holy Spirit, you know what he will be about? He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I, he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Jesus means here, in the sense of the Holy Spirit showing, showing, yes, more and more through God's word to us, the gospel way administering it to us and steadfastly pressing it home through our mind, conscience, and heart. The salvation found for us in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, the crucified and risen Savior. Isn't this what led Paul also to say in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12? Now, he says this to the believers in Corinth, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle also says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Congregation, isn't this 
the good, grand gospel of Pentecost. Namely that with the Holy Spirit's outpouring on Pentecost, Jesus, though physically remaining in heaven since his ascension, we may know yet, as the Christian in the Heidelberg Catechism, the Bible-based Catechism, states in question and answer 47, Christ, with respect to his Godhead and majesty and grace and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. I will not leave you comfortless as those desolate orphans. But instead, Jesus promises, I will come to you. In both cases, too, the you in the text is in the plural form. In verse 23 of John 14, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and We will make our abode, our dwelling, our home with him. This is what happens, you see, when belonging to Jesus and when the Holy Spirit is thus with us and in us and ministering to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then then, then we turn from our sins and sinfulness. We're pricked in our hearts for our sinful ways and and we pray God to have mercy and we, we desire for him to be with us and indeed to make his home in your and my heart. Abiding with us now and forever. And isn't this what the Christian delights in? Isn't this a treasure and pleasure to prize and to value above all else? And this splendid promise Jesus makes in our text. I will not leave you comfortless orphans. I will come to you. Congregation, when you think too that this promise was given to the disciples, to the disciples, these men of Galilee, it's all the more astonishing really. I mean, to those weak, doubting, wayward, unfaithful disciples. Think of it. It's to them, Jesus says, I I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yes, even to those, those disciples who that very night as a group all forsook Jesus. And even the closest ones to him, they could not watch with him even one hour. Though they said they surely would. You see how it is to an undeserving people, weak and wayward of themselves, yes, with nothing really good about themselves at all, that Jesus pledges this gospel word. All God's work of gospel is found, motivated not by anything ever in us, but all from within God himself. John 14, 18. It's his word of mercy and love for undeserving, unworthy people in themselves. Even for people like you and me too, by nature. Why should Christ speak a promise like this to anyone at all? It's all just amazing grace and a wondrous love that guides him so. And it's always based only on reasons taken from out of himself. And on account of Jesus' perfect saving work on sinners' behalf as Savior of sinners. Do you understand this gospel this way? And what makes this promise so splendid to congregation is the fact that of ourselves, no one of us can come to Jesus, nor would come to Jesus, or ever stay with Jesus. We are by nature dead in sins and trespasses. And we are blind to the only gospel of salvation. But you see, the Holy Spirit as God is almighty. And he's fully able to renew and transform hopeless sinners 
like us, so spiritually dead in ourselves, and lifeless and blind and deaf to the gospel on our own. Yet, he is able and he's willing to have us become spiritually alive and truly to hear and to see the gospel for all its need and its beauty and its worth. You see, actually this is why there's, there's gospel hope, isn't there, with God our Savior. Even, even for the most hardened, wayward sinner who comes in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our triune God is God the Father Almighty, God the Son Almighty, and God the Spirit Almighty. And with Him, beloved, by His Spirit, His infinite power to save to the uttermost all that come to God in and through Jesus Christ. Or maybe you wonder and you ask, well, will the Holy Spirit minister still in my heart and life and lead even me to Jesus? as my only Savior and Lord, and not leave me comfortless? Well, the Bible declares, doesn't it, in many places and many ways, all who ask, receive. All who seek, find. All who knock, the door will be opened to them. And think of this verse, John 11, Luke 11, verse 13. Jesus makes this wonderful promise. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Will you ask Him for the Holy Spirit to work in you, even this night? Will we each and all ask God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit's ministry in us, both initially and steadfastly till our last breaths. This week we had someone over and we sang the song together, Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. Is that your prayer? Or what about the prayer, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Break us, melt us, mold us, fill us, or else... What hope do we have? The Holy Spirit's been poured out on Pentecost. Poured out. And with his outpouring, the disciples spoke many languages. It's like God saying, I want the whole world to know about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of Jesus, the Savior of sinners. This we may joyfully and repeatedly proclaim, dear congregation, as the gospel message for all the world. The Holy Spirit is out, together with the Father and the Son, to seek and to save sinners. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It is through Christ's suffering and his perfect and God-pleasing and God-approved redeeming work through his shed blood on Calvary that now sinful people like you and me, as many as repent of sin and believe on Christ, may be received into the family of God and become his dear children and even joint heirs with the Savior for the wonderful eternity to come. In the day of Pentecost, many were saved. Pentecost is still today. And Jesus, he addressed his disciples who looked to him and trusted in him. He addressed them as little children, his little children, meaning his beloved ones whom he took to himself and brought into the redeemed family of God. And in Romans 8, we learn likewise that 
we're told that this is the special ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring sinners from darkness into the light and into the saved and blessed family of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 14 to 15 states thus, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have received not the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby you may cry, Abba, Father. Well, do you see with me, thinking of this all, how very special and rich, surely, this splendid promise of Holy Scripture, John 14, 18. Our text proclaims this glorious, most comforting promise of Jesus, the Savior of sinners. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Reflecting on this gospel promise, you agree with me, don't you? How special, surely, to commemorate and to celebrate Pentecost when indeed the Holy Spirit was sent out to minister and to equip the disciples also in ever seeking and serving the Lord in all comfort and confidence and to tell the whole world what a Savior God we have in Christ Jesus. Are you looking to Him? That you all, everyone younger and older may do so. Let's think about our third point. Living in our 21st century world. Yes, from the youngest to the oldest, or listening online even. Our third main thought is what supreme provision the Lord gives. Our text tells not only what sad plight Jesus describes and what splendid promise Jesus makes, but also the supreme provision the Lord gives. I say here purposely, the Lord Because clearly isn't the whole trinity in all three persons most graciously and wonderfully involved and engaged in any and every sinner's complete salvation from all sin and evil. And what is the supreme provision the Lord gives? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. To see what the Lord all gives in this, provides, think of question and answer 53 of the Heidelberg Catechism where the Christian answers there on the basis of Scripture about what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit, this answer. First, that He is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that He has also given me to make me, by a true faith, partaker of Christ and all His benefits. That He may comfort me and abide with me forever. Isn't that just so great confession of faith? Is it your and my? testimony today this Pentecost Sunday 2022 you know the gospel tidings are when you and I believe in Jesus and belong to him by grace through faith in him and are so trusting and following the Lord isn't it true you and I realize don't we ever increasingly even how utterly dependent we are on the Lord every step of the way from beginning to end in our Christian pilgrimage dependent on the Lord's mercy and keeping and that he comes to us for our help and comfort by his word and spirit time and time again always only for Jesus' sake and then you know instead of being left comfortless as we always deserve left to ourselves looking to Jesus we find as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 
we find the God of all comfort for us. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There's so much comfort with God that we can get all we need and there's always so much more for anyone and everyone. It's never exhausted. It can be used by everybody and it's never depleted. In congregation, there is just no need or trouble or sorrow or sin or calamity or evil or hurt that God in Christ, by His Spirit and by His Word, can't and won't bring true comfort and help for us. Whatever your trouble right now, bring it to Him and see if He can be the God who doesn't leave you comfortless. The Holy Spirit is called our helper and one who comes alongside of us with divine love and omnipotent strength and endless support in our every need and our every cry for help. So you see this little verse, John 14, 18. Truly, can't this scripture verse and promise be so enjoyed by God's believing people? considering how inexhaustible this promise is. Praise God, there is a continued freshness and force to this promise. Looking to Jesus and living now in the era of Pentecost, still today. Our text, we know, is a divinely inspired scripture word that you and I can trust and live by for as long as we live. And yes, also, when we come into the valley of the shadow of death, which comes in all our lives, many times unexpected. And I ask you, who would want to live and die without this hope and trust of our text? Living instead without comfort. Living in our miserable, sinful, otherwise totally comfortless world, headed for eternal destruction on its own in its own course, as Jesus foretold. Oh, beloved, let me say this. John 14, 18 is a verse to cling to and to enjoy, not only in view of it being so inexhaustible for us in this life, but think here too of its ultimate and final fulfillment. Jesus' word always has many fulfillments already in this life, but all the Lord's, God, all the Lord's gospel promises will meet with ultimate eternal fulfillment when Jesus returns on the clouds. And then he will bring all his own into his father's house, to his eternal dwelling place, as his dear children. I read just this morning from Psalm 71 about the Lord. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Comfort me on every side. You know, the Lord Jesus he was left comfortless on every side that we might be comforted on every side. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing gospel? How awesome that will be when the day comes and God's people experience an everlasting fullness, eternal, an eternal delight, Jesus promised. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. You know, congregation, the anticipation of that ultimate fulfillment gives reason for God's people to have so much eagerness and joy here and now in the Christian faith. 
Oh yes, here and now we experience many trials, many struggles because of our own sin within us and sin around us and the raging devil and a restless evil world. But one day, who knows how soon, that will all change and behold, all things will be made new, gloriously, eternally new and that forevermore. You can enjoy this promise of John 14, 18 considering its continuance till the final day and its consummation or ultimate and eternal fulfillment in that last day. I will not leave you comfortless as orphans. I will come to you. I dare say, congregation, not any one of us here has any idea at this time of the full riches and endless comfort of this promise still to come. How good on this Pentecost Sunday then, when like the disciples on that day when they were so filled with the Spirit, that we too, as confessing believers, that that we can't keep quiet about this, this most gracious, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. In our sin, too often, we're too quiet about it but that we, we testify of it to others as the Lord yet gives us opportunity, yes, especially in our homes, but also outside the homes, as and in the church, but also outside the church. Who might you speak to this week about John fourteen eighteen? You know, as this dreadful comfortlessness and desperateness and hopelessness and dark despair of our wicked and fallen world apart from Christ gets more and more evident and exposed in the rebellion of our modern society. Who knows who all the Lord may yet draw and add to his church. People will become sick of sin and see how God's people are living and, and come to Jesus. Yes, also as you and I humbly and heartily live gladly by God's grace and spirit for God and good, in true love to God and genuine love to our neighbors. After all, don't forget, we are still living in the Pentecost era. It was a one-time event, but for long-standing impact till the day Jesus returns. It's the day of grace when sinners are yet being saved by God's gospel word and before the last trumpet shall sound and Christ returns to establish his eternal kingdom. Well, till then, beloved, as those confessing to believe in Christ and and children of God by His grace and Spirit, let our hearty trust and testimony be this wonderful verse of John 14, 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Oh, dear congregation, it's just, it's amazing, really, beyond words. And let no one of us live as if John 14, 18 isn't in the Bible because it is black and white for all to read and hear and understand and believe. Thanks be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the gospel of Pentecost. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, bless this word. It's, it is a unbelievable word I will not leave you comfortless that's what we deserve a hundred million times over but Jesus experienced comfortlessness as none of us ever has he experienced the agonies of hell eternal hell especially on the cross that we might be comforted in spirit and truth comforted on every side And instead of being cast away forever as rebels 
and left with the demons and the devil in hell. We may be saved, become God's children, and be brought into his eternal home, all for Jesus' sake alone. And this, the Holy Spirit makes known to us and explains to us how how this gospel is so great and how it becomes ours. Help us, Lord, to hear the Spirit's ministry, not to resist the Spirit when the Spirit speaks to us and convicts us through the word of our sins and sinfulness, but that we confess our sin and misery and that we cry to you for mercy while it's yet the day of grace and that we believe your promise that those who cry to you You will not leave comfortless, but you will shower them with your love and your care and your keeping. You will come to us now and forever as our Savior God. What a gospel. It's so great a gospel. Receive our praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for this gospel. We want to pray yet, Lord, for those who are feeling sadness and trouble in their life. Maybe those who are mourning loss of loved ones. Or those who have sorrows, even spiritual sorrows, conviction of sin, Lord, that we may bring every trouble, every sorrow to you, and that we may prove your word. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. Forgive all that which was sinful, even in this evening service. Watch over us as we leave from here. Bless us in the week ahead. Help us in our work, in our responsibilities and cares. And Lord, we we mentioned Ukraine. Remember that country and the awful war that's continuing there. Remember those who are orphans in this world, also those who are stuck in cold and loveless institutions. Oh Lord, help us to be so thankful when we have a mom and dad. Help us to love them. Help us to respect them. Help us to honor them and appreciate having them, especially too when they want to lead us in the way of the gospel. Help us to listen to them and to be willing to learn from them. Lord, may none of us Turn away from you and be left forever comfortless. Oh, hear our prayer and bless us for good. In Jesus' name alone we ask. Amen.